0: Last week, we covered the first seven verses of the book of Romans, and I hope it was uh, engaging and informative for you. It's interesting how much meat there is in in each word that God has so specifically and strategically placed in Scripture. Uh, There's purpose behind everything that God does, even when sometimes we can't see it in the forefront. And those seven verses, I hope it blessed you, it certainly blessed me as I studied Here's what I want us to know. These next verses, we're going to go um, from verse 8, and we'll stop at 17 today. Uh, this is almost still like Paul's introduction. Now, I want to urge you and encourage you to be sure to, to continue to follow us through these chapters because Paul gets into some really good, deep theological stuff. He is going to deal with the end times in Romans chapter 9. We're going to talk about election. Uh, when we get to Romans 13, we're going to talk about what do we do as Christians, how do we? respond to immigration what does that look like for christians and so we're going to get into a lot of this stuff uh, simply because paul is taking us through it and so i just want to urge you and i encourage you this uh, is known by many scholars um spurge and augustine and the list goes on uh, to be one of the most important books in the in all throughout the bible now i think they're all important but i think you understand what this means that this book here holds so much theological meat It holds so much theological weight about what we believe and why we believe what we believe that I want to really urge you and challenge you. Uh, Even when you miss, you can catch online, but I want to urge you and challenge you. This is going to speak to a lot of our doctrinal beliefs. Uh, I mean, it's just saturated with it. Today, we're going to continue through what seems to be Paul's continual introduction to this chapter. Um, So as we look at verse 8, I want to pull it up here. Uh, As we saw last week, Um, Paul really gave an introduction And I pointed out three things One we talked about Paul uh, The author And here's what I'm going to challenge you And I'm going to challenge you every single week Because I believe this is transformative for our spiritual walk I'm going to challenge us to memorize a verse every week Uh, The one I want you to memorize from last week Don't worry it's like six words It's just Romans 1 verse 1 Uh, When Paul introduces himself As a servant of Christ Jesus Set apart to be an apostle and then he is what? Called. Or he's an apostle, then he is set apart. Yeah, I got to memorize it myself. And so, but it's, it's really six verses. So I want to challenge us as a church to memorize that. And then I'll give us one today. But so remember that he gives us the background we know about the author. He then tells us about the message and his mission. And then we look into see who he is speaking to. The audience of this is unbelievably important. Uh, in fact, the reason why I'm doing this is to hopefully when you. Or by yourself and you're reading the Bible, uh, there can be some trigger things that say, oh, I remember how pastor picks apart the word of God. Uh, Because it's incredibly dangerous these days because we can take a verse and and let it mean whatever we want it to mean, whatever suits us. Where the power is in leaving the verse in its proper context, that's where the power is at. And the rest is a bit deceitful. So it's important that we leave scripture in its proper context, take it from there, then see what God meant and how it applies to our lives. Does that make sense? So it's unbelievably important that we do that. So today, as he continues, uh, he starts off by saying, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, um, just to bring us back to who he is speaking of when he says all of you, this particular time in in Rome, he is speaking to Gentiles and Jews. Now, there was, there was persecution that came in, and then, and then when Christ, they left Rome, Christians did because of the persecution, when they came back, you now have Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were not living. By the way, uh, some of you asked me last after service, who are the Gentiles? Uh, Gentiles basically is, is everyone else who's not a Jew. Uh, you and I would be considered Gentiles if you're not a Jew today. So the Jews almost had this, this arrogance attached to them because they were God's chosen people. And therefore, it was easy to judge the Gentiles, those who were not God's chosen people, and what Paul was trying to do is he 's trying to bring the two groups together. Remember i said it 's like mixing two cultures and trying to help them to live under one household, spiritual household. What is going on is Gentiles are not living by Jewish tradition, and Jews are very frustrated by that and I gave you the example of my wife and I got married. Um, she is Caucasian, obviously I am not and we came together in the one household and we had all kinds of like different cultural standards. I'm like, bread? No, I want a tortilla. I'm like, I thought you should know that by now. And, and so, you know, I never forget like, she made this, this nice breakfast one day and it was like bacon and eggs and it was like, it was awesome. And I got the Tabasco sauce and put, poured it all over the eggs and she, she just kind of she's really sweet and gentle spirited my wife is and she just got quiet and was like what's wrong? and she's like did it not taste good? I was like no it was fantastic she's like well, why'd you put Tabasco sauce? I'm like I've been doing it since I was five I don't know I don't know <laughs> what to tell you But even amongst a household that we were trying to make it work, there were still some things that we had to understand because we're from different cultures. Can you imagine the Jews and the Gentiles where Jews are saying, this is how we want you to be. And Gentiles saying, we ain't got to be that way. And so here Paul is saying, I want you to be united. So he, here's when he says, all of you, that's who he's writing to Jews and Gentiles. And now, because he says, I'm writing to you all, you are all of equal value. They are now listening with the same ears and put them on the same playing field because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I want to sit there for just a minute. What Paul is saying is, I thank God, why does Paul think God? Because Jews and Gentiles, this is incredible. You receive the gospel, and now you're living out the gospel, so much so that it's impacting the entire world. Now, keep in mind, this word faith is used over 200 times in the New Testament. This word faith in the Greek is pistis, and what this word means is trust and reliance. Reliance. So what Paul is saying is, I'm so thankful for your faith. What does faith mean? Pistis, for your trust and reliance on who? On God. Now, here's what I also want us to know, that some can say they have faith, but they don't have any fruit. Many Christians today, in fact, before I was a Christian, and I had to fill out on my form, religion, religion, I put Christianity. Why? Well, I didn't want to go to hell. I don't know. So I said, I'm a Christian. Didn't know what that meant or entailed. But if you were to look at my life, there was nothing in my life that said, he is a Christian. In fact, you would have looked at my life and said, that's certainly Satan's child. There wasn't anything about me from just watching me that said, I am a Christian and I am producing fruit. So what Paul is saying Is because of your faith, because of your trust and reliance. In fact, this word often in the Old and New Testament has to do with active trust and belief displayed through obedience. Listen to that. The way Paul said, Here's how I know you're a Christian, because you back it up, you actually have active trust and belief. It's active, it's not dormant, it's not passive. You are doing something with your faith. This is what he's saying. And how do I know? Well, it's displayed by the way you're living. In fact, active faith, active trust, and belief displayed through obedience is from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Rahab, hiding the spies. That was her faith. Noah, building the ark. That was his active faith. Abraham, taking Isaac up to the altar to crucify him. Remember that? That was him being active and obedient to God. Now, why is this such a big deal? If you take a look at your Bibles here, remember verse 5? What is Paul's mission and message? Here's what it is. Here's what he says. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. What is Paul's desire? My desire is that Christians have active faith. Not a faith that doesn't move. But a faith that does something. Why? Why is it important for Christians to have active faith? Because through active Christians, God carries out his perfect will and plan. Not only for your life, but for the plan of the world. Now, why does Paul so care so much that Christians are active? Well, as you continue in verse 5, here's what he says. For the sake of his name among all the nations... When Christians are active in their faith, the gospel is advanced throughout the world. You want to know how I know that? This is Paul's desire. I pray that through active Christians, everybody comes to hear all around the world. Now, it's really God's desire. That's why it's Paul's desire. Did his desire work? Is God actually doing this? Let's pause. Look around you. You are a byproduct of this verse. Do you recognize that? That he cared so much because God instilled it in him. That he became a missionary, planting churches everywhere, wanting everybody to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That somehow it got to us and here we are today. That's a byproduct of God's desire and God's heart. That all people will hear the word of God. Now, this is incredibly important here, especially for Jews and Gentiles. Remember, Jews thought, no, it's only for us. And Paul's saying, no. It's for every skin color. It's for every lifestyle. It's for every broken sinner. It's for everybody. And I want this gospel to, yes, get to the Jews, but I want to get to everybody. Whoever listens doesn't have to perish, but have everlasting life. That is God's heart. By the way, that's one of our core values for the church, that we are a church for all people. Not just a certain class of people. Not a certain color of people. Not a certain education level of a person. That, that the gospel is penetrated to everybody who will receive it and submit to it. That is our desire as a church leadership. So why is that our desire? Only because it is first God's desire. So he says, now, everyone's talking about this. I mean, can you imagine if if everyone's saying, hey, have you ever gone to North Phoenix Church? Those people are active Christians. They're not just fans. They're followers. How do we do that? Well, the majority of us have a workplace. You have a school you attend. It starts there. We're never called to divorce our faith from Sunday to Monday. Your faith should cover Sunday to Sunday. This is not a special occasion. This is the celebration of who we're worshiping to be sent out to spread the good news out to the city. Through you being faithful in your workplace, through you being faithful students in your schools, college students in your schools. Every single one of us have a part so that God can continue to advance the gospel. So, verses 9 through 13, I'm going to read this and I'll explain it to you. For God is my witness. You ever say when you have a conversation, for God is my witness? What are we saying when we say that? It's almost a self-defense mechanism, right? I promise you, I'm not lying, for God is my witness. So Paul is defending something here, isn't he? He's having to defend something. We're about to find out what that something is. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Here's what he's saying. People in Rome, Jews and Gentiles, God is my witness that I have not stopped praying for you. God is my witness. I've been praying for you, and I haven't stopped asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at, at last succeed in coming to you. What has happened? Paul has, this is the, the church that Paul has not visited. This is the church that Paul has not planted and created. He did not found this church. This church just happened throughout Christians who were there. In fact, it was probably a bunch of little bitty house churches. And so here's what they're asking, here's what they're kind of saying about Paul. For some reason, Paul doesn't want to come to Rome. Why? Well, if you study Rome, uh, not only was Rome like the World Trade Center, uh, but it also had so many different pagan religions and had different philosophers. These guys were unbelievably brilliant. But not only that, they would spit up the Christian. They would eat them up and spit them out. It's not like Christianity was prominent here. No, no, no. Persecution was very strong. And so they're saying, Paul, here we are, Christians here in Rome, but you're scared to come here and preach with us and walk with us. Why are you scared? So Paul's saying, I ain't scared. It's <laughs> God is my witness, I'm not scared. I've tried to go over and over and over, and I desire to go, but it's not happening. But I love the way Paul approaches this. I don't know if you've ever wanted something so badly, and you just keep praying about it, and you keep praying. I love what Paul says. We know that he has a desire to go to Rome. We know that he has prayed for them without ceasing. And, but here's what I love asking that somehow by God's will. I love it. I love it. You ever heard someone pray and say, God, if it's your will? That's where all of our prayers should be. God, if it's your will, I will be faithful. I will do the best that I can. But God, if it's your, if you will it. And here's what I would tell you, church. If you have been praying for something and you have not received it and God is sovereign, well, then it may not be his will or it may not be his time. Do we understand that? If God is sovereign, we have to trust in his will. There's a lot of peace in knowing that God is in control. So what he says is like, I've tried over and over, but if it's God's will, this is what God wants to happen. I promise you, God knows how to work things out. It will happen. So as he goes on, here's what he tells them. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Okay, what he is saying here, it's a continual really plea to help them understand that he wants to see them. Here's what he's saying. I don't want to have a consumer mentality. I really believe that when we hang out together, I am going to bless you and you are going to bless me. There is a mutual Proverbs twenty seven Proverbs twenty seven seventeen going on. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Neither one of them had a consumerism mentality. Neither one of them had a consumerism mentality. They both wanted to mutually benefit each other. And that's what he is saying here. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented. God prevented him in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. What he is speaking of here as harvest is really people who are lost and come to know Jesus Christ. Okay, let me fast forward through here. I don't want to major in the minor. Okay? Now, I love what he says. Verses 9 through 13. It's a plea. It's a for God is my witness. I want to see you. I'm not afraid to go to Rome. Now, then he says this. I am under obligation. Let's sit on this word right here. When you look at that word in the Greek, obligation, what it means is that he owes it and he is in debt. He owes it and that he is in debt. So what he is saying is I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. I want you to see what he does here. Remember, Paul, incredibly brilliant guy. Look at what he does. Talking about breaking cultural barriers. He just wasn't a talker. He was a doer about breaking cultural barriers. These two are in the polar opposites of cultures. I want us to sit on that just for a minute. When you look at Paul's life, you can tell he loved all people. Because he would go to the Greek and he would go to the barbarian. Remember when your mom used to say, stop acting like a barbarian? So here's what he's saying. Uh, These are foreign people. Probably not very intellectual people. Not very bright, not brilliant. Paul is breaking through two cultures and he's trying to unite them. And I love that he puts them in the same sentence because what he is saying is, I have a burden, I owe it to the Greeks. I owe it to the barbarians. I owe it to the wise and to the foolish. Why does he feel so obligated to them? Well, because first, he's obligated to God. He's first, this relationship affects this relationship. If you look at Paul's life and just watch him, I'm sure it's easy to say, that's a man who loves all people. Look at the way he treats someone who doesn't have any money. Look at the way he treats someone who has a lot of money. He treats them the same. Why is he like that? Well, because he spent time with God. This kind of love is a byproduct of a relationship with Christ. Here's what I always tell our staff, and they do a great job at it, by the way, that our friend group, it is my belief that if we're going to carry out the gospel in a world who desperately needs to see it, I challenge my staff with this, and I challenge myself. My friend group and people group should not all look like me, talk like me, and act like me. I should be a walking picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he takes different cultures and how he takes different languages and how he takes the intellectual and the unintellectual and brings them all together and they're united by one common ground, the love of Christ. When we disciple somebody and we pour into somebody's life, it is my humble opinion that because of the gospel, we don't only go to those that we feel comfortable with or that we can relate to and understand. The gospel breaks those barriers If we live that kind of life, we cheat people from seeing the fullness of what the gospel actually does. It crosses the Greeks and barbarians. It crosses the wise and the unwise. This is how powerful the gospel is. That it unites everything together. And the the, the gospel is not discriminated. It is not prejudice. It is for all people. That is what the gospel is. That is what Christians should be living out to love all people. Now, then he says this So I am eager to preach the gospel to you. He has this eagerness. Why? Because of what God has done for him. And then you hear this famous verse, which I'm going to challenge you to memorize. Verse 16 and 17 is what we read. Here's what he says For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why would he start off by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Here is why. Because they were saying he was afraid to share the gospel in Rome because it wasn't popular. So he starts off by saying, I don't care what Rome has to offer. I don't care if it's Christian or not Christian. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know what it can do. I know the power that it has. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then here's what he says. For it is the power of God. That word power is Deuteronomy in the Greek. It's where we get our word dynamite. It's power in action. Here's what he is saying. I'm not afraid of the gospel. Why? This shows extreme confidence in what? In the fact that he understands the power of God. What a sad life it would be to live this earth calling ourselves Christians and never experience the power of God. Do you understand that God wants you to experience his power, his dynamite, and how he works? But it only happens through a Christian who submits fully and wholly to God. All of you. Now, I'm not ashamed. Why not? Where does your confidence come from? My confidence comes from the power of God. And nobody can stop the power of God. And that's why my confidence lies within the power of God. Why does your confidence lie in the power of God? And what do you expect to get out of the power of God? Here's what I expect to get, to see salvation come to everyone who believes. Now, if you ask somebody, hey, when you die, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And I have this conversation often with a pastor, and they'll often say, yeah. And then here's what I'll say, well, why do you think that? And they'll say, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And my good outweighs my bad. I'm not, I'm a, I attend church, I serve. I'm not a horrible person. Now, what they are unintentionally doing is putting power in themselves for their salvation. It's, it's pretty eye opening because. Um, you can write all the checks in the world. You can serve all the hours that you have. You can read all the scripture, but without power from God in your life, there is no salvation. There is no salvation apart from power of God. And so what he wants them to understand is salvation, that this is rescuing. This is liberty. This is freedom, but it only comes from the power of God. Now, And here's what he says. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now here's what I'm going to do for us as we're closing. This is going to pretty much end the introduction. These next several verses that come up next week, here's what's going to happen. Uh, What happened to those, if we believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, what happens to those who never hear the gospel? Well, Paul answered, answers that next week. Now, here's what Paul is saying Christians, and I'll speak to all the Christians in the room. It shouldn't be a surprise when you tell your coworker that you're a Christian. Like, Christians should be the hardest working people in the workplace. Christians should not be the ones complaining about everything in the workplace all the time. Christians should be the ones serving. Christians should not be cheating time. Should not be stealing money. Like it should not be surprised in the workplace if you invite someone to church they shouldn't be like, "Whoa, you're you're a Christian?" I've seen your Facebook Drinking, Johnny? You? What church do you go to? Well, they let sin run rampant and there's no accountability. Where do you go? I want to go there. We joke, but it shouldn't be a surprise. So what do you do if you're here and you're thinking, I've already messed it up? Well, there's good news. I wasn't a pastor all my life. I know what it means when I gave my life to Christ at 18 years old. And I couldn't stop living in sin, and I didn't know how to live for God. And here's, what it, here's the way it was I'm being transparent with you. Um, if you want to send me an email about it, send it to Gogliano at northphoenix.org. <laughs> but I know what it's like to have one foot in the world and one foot in church. And when I'm in church, I know how to play church. And when I'm in the world, I was one of the best at being the chief of all sinners. I knew how to live both lives. And I remember thinking, I can't do this anymore. I can't date sin and expect to be intimate with God. I gotta figure it out. So, and I'm thinking, what do I do? I've already gone to parties. I've already said some things I shouldn't have said. What do I do, God? And here's one of the most humiliating, humiliating thing that I had to do, but that I created for myself. I had to go back to my workplace. Talk about he said, hey, man, I know I haven't been living like it and acting like it, but I'm, I'm a Christian and I want to apologize to you. I should have been doing these things. And it, was it humiliating? Absolutely. Here's what it did. It showed the people that I said I'm sorry to that Christians aren't perfect and that we're all jacked up and they can join our church too. But it pointed to a God who's so good, who can love the jacked up, 19-year-old Noe Garcia so much that even in the midst of my sin and failures, he still loves me. Now, I know there are consequences. I'm not negating that. But, 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 but to, for people to understand that you don't have to be perfect for God to love you, that he has this overwhelming love for you. And he knows you're going to mess up. He knows you're going to think the things you're going to think. And for them to understand, how does God love you? And I said, I don't know, but I'm a recipient. And men, it's so good. Come to church, you can hear about this Jesus. And it did this. It kept me accountable. I didn't want to have to go back and say, hey, remember I told you I was a Christian? I'm still a Christian, but I messed up again with you guys. It really kept me accountable. To live for Christ, not only on Sunday, but on Monday. It kept me accountable. So, you may be sitting here today and say, what does that mean for me in the workplace? What is God's desire? I'm going to leave you with several things. Is that okay? And it's all scripture. Verse 9. Paul says he has been praying for them without ceasing. Prayer is, prayer is like getting the soil ready to plant the seeds. Paul has been praying before I visit you because I'm going to give you that gospel seed. And that prayer is going to soften the soil. My son is seven. And we can all do My son is seven. And we pray at night. And he starts listing these kids in his class who he doesn't think is saved. But he's praying that they come to know Jesus. We can do that, right? We can do that. First thing I would tell you is prayer. Pray. And this is all straight from Scripture, by the way. I'm going to take it all apart from what Paul is telling us to do. Pray. So, if you're in the workplace and you like, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know what to do. Start by praying. Then here's what he says next. He wants them to live with this gospel burden. Can you imagine if you lived under obligation? Can you imagine if you live with a sense of urgency to say, "I am going to live." with gospel eyes, and I want God to use me. I owe it to God, to share of his goodness. I don't wanna hide this secret. So Paul says he has been living under obligation. And that's exactly what Paul is saying he, he will do, and I think that's exactly what we should do is live under obligation. Then verse 16, not be ashamed not being shamed, this great gift that he has given us, then nothing I would tell you is depend on the power of God for salvation. There's a lot of insecurity when it comes to Christians sharing their faith because they're afraid how people will respond. Here's the great news. It's not up to you to change a person's heart. All you got to do is cast the net. God will bring the fish. All you got to do is cast the net. God will bring the fish. And if you're a Christian in this room, you have a story to tell about how you were once were dead because of Jesus. He gave you new life. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're forgiven. And let me tell you about this good God. Let me tell you about this Jesus. We can all do that. So, we, so not to be ashamed to depend on the power of God. And then here's what I would tell you last. Live by faith. What does that word faith mean? To be active. To be active. You ever thought that maybe God has you where he has you in your workplace because he wants you to be the missionary in your workplace? It's more than about promotion and money. You recognize that? God's not interested in our name being famous. He's interested in his name being famous. And what if he has specifically placed us where he wants us to be so that we can be the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dying world who so desperately needs it. And you may be thinking, Pastor, you don't know me. I'm way too messed up and I'm way too jacked up. Congratulations, you're the perfect candidate God wants to use because through your weakness, he will display his power. That's the kind of God we serve. All you have to do is submit to that. Just submit. I want us to pray together. So I want to speak first to the Christians. And I want to challenge you. Only you know and God knows. What do you like at work? I mean, if you invited someone to church, will they be compelled to come because of the way you live out your faith? Are you cheating time? are you complaining are you lazy what, what are you like in the workplace are you living two lives I, I, listen I everything I mentioned I've been that person sometimes I still am it's not who I want to be but it's who I am sometimes Then I would ask the rest of you, maybe, maybe you're here, and maybe you're like me. You just checked the box and said you were Christian, but you've never fully experienced the forgiveness of Christ. If you would look at your life, you would say, man, there are no fruit that says that I'm a Christian. Let me just tell you, you only produce fruit when you're connected to the vine. divine being, Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, I've never surrendered to Jesus. When I hear scripture, it doesn't even make sense. I don't get it. I don't even know how he can love me, but I'm tired and I'm broken and I'm void. I just want to know I'm forgiven. I just want to know that I'm loved by God. That's all I want to know. And I've never known that in my life. Let me just tell you, there's, there's good news that God gave his son to a broken world for people like us to die on the cross for our sins that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, to have faith in Christ, faith that is active. Listen, if you're here this morning you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, here's what I want you to do. You just raise your hand and say, that's me. And I want to surrender this morning, all that I am, every area of my life. If you just raise your hand and say, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Just raise it high so I can see you, amen, right in front of me. Anybody else, just raise them high. Just raise them high. Say, that's me, that's me, that's me. We're going to have pastors come up to the front. Listen, if you need to pray with the pastor, they'll be here for you. If you need to come to the altar and pray. If that is you and you're saying, listen, I've never surrendered. I want to surrender. Just tell a pastor that I know what to do. If you're a Christian and you're saying, I'm, I'm living a double life, man. I don't know how to get out of it. That's so not would just come to the altar and just surrender all that you are. Father, we're thankful for your gospel. Help us to be not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give strength to those who need it this morning, Father. Give us courage to share with those who don't know you. Give us courage to admit when we have failed you, Father, and failed others. God, give us a love for each other that reflects who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.